Hello, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. Welcome to VUX World. I'm your host, as always, Kane Sims, and I'm delighted to present DeepGram and Symbol AI as the sponsors for this episode, which is all going to be about call center authentication. Today joining us is Matt Smallman. Matt is an expert in voice biometrics and call center security. And essentially, to unlock the potential of voice AI, you have to understand who somebody is and that they actually are who they say they are. When you think about a system communicating with a user at the end, how do you determine who someone is to be able to offer them the right level of service? How do you make sure they are who they say they are so they can actually transact? And so a huge gap in our collective kind of understanding, or at least what we talk about often when we talk about voice AI, a massive gap is in that piece. How do you make sure someone is who they say they are so that they can actually transact with an AI uh, assistant or in general with, with an organization? And so Matt has been doing this for many, many years. I can't remember how many calls he said he's uh, he's made more secure, uh, but I'm sure we'll find that out. It's in the millions and his aim is to get to a billion. His book has just come out, uh, which we're going to get into in literally a short while. Uh, his book is all about call center authentication. It's called Unlock Your Call Center. I just want to make sure I get the title right. Unlock Your Call Center, a proven way to upgrade security, efficiency, and caller experience. But before we bring uh, Matt on to the show, I'd like to give a shout out to DeepGram and Symbol AI. As I mentioned, DeepGram is an industry-leading speech recognition provider. And if you are considering creating voice assistance or voice AI applications for any interface or any device type, any surface, you should definitely check out DeepGram. They've got incredibly fast response times. They're incredibly incredibly cost-effective, and crucially, you can retrain their ASR models around your specific use case, which is something that hardly anybody actually does, but you'll find that when you do that, you will increase your accuracy tremendously. That means that you can stand a better chance of understanding people. You can retrain based on accents and all kinds of different stuff. They support a bunch of different languages, and they will baseline themselves itself against other competitors that you're looking at as well to make sure that you are definitely getting the most accurate solution for your needs. So do check out deepgram.com forward slash V-U-X world uh, for more information. That is deepgram.com forward slash V-U-X world. Our second sponsor is Symbol AI, which it's quite difficult to even know where to start with Symbol AI because they offer so much capability. Through Symbol AI's APIs, you can build a whole bunch of different use cases. You can have its conversational intelligence, which means that it picks up on data from within conversations, some data that you might even not know exists, and some data which is incredibly hard to identify. For example, there are use cases where people have built with Symbol AI outbound dialers, which will just make phone calls to phone numbers in an automated fashion. And as soon as somebody answers, as soon as a human answers, it can recognize that it is a human and pass it on to an agent to take over the conversation. It can recognize the beep of an answering machine to be able to leave a message after the beep for the person to call the company back. You can build your own agent assist capabilities. You can use it for meetings and call summarization, intent identification, speaker diarization, as a whole raft of capabilities that exist. So if you're interested in finding out how you can make use of the data happening within your conversations, check out Symbol AI. That's S-Y-M-B-L dot A-I. S-Y-M-B-L dot A-I. Thank you, Symbol AI and Deep Ground for sponsoring VUX World. Now, without further ado, let's get into the show. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, please do welcome Matt Smallman, who is the founder of Simnex Consulting. As I mentioned, Matt has a bunch of experience in the call center when it comes to authenticating. You are a voice biometrics expert. And look at that, his book, <laughs> Unlock, Unlock Your Call Center, which is out today and currently ranking number one in customer service books. Is that right, Matt? Number one in customer service 
Kindle books in the UK. So I think right. we've still got a bit, a bit of a way to go before we uh, spread the word uh, as far and wide as it needs to be spread. Because uh, like like you, I'm sure we're all frustrated with being asked asked pointless questions whenever we phone someone or try to talk to someone on the phone. Yeah, indeed. Incredibly frustrated. Um, it's always something stupidly obscure, like your mother's pets, fish feeders, dog walkers, aunties, left shoe size. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> stuff that you can never remember just to get through. And, and the worst part is sometimes is that you'll be asked a bunch of these questions when somebody calls you. Like they call you and then they interrogate you about all these mad yep. questions that you don't have an answer to <laughs> just so they can have a conversation with you. It's crazy. And, and here's a big secret, yeah? It's not actually that secure. How many fraudsters do you think actually call a call center and don't know the answers to the questions they're going to get asked versus how yeah. many real customers phone and get don't know the answers to the questions they didn't know they were going to get asked? Yeah, it's probably, I would say, the same, same amount, I would imagine. I th- in some cases, we see frauds as be a bit more successful than real customers. It depends how, uh, <laughs> it depends how um, esoteric their questions have got. Right, interesting, interesting. So... Congratulations, by the way, on on the uh, on the book. I'm going to put some links in here uh, for those people who want to go and check it out, and I would definitely recommend you do. Uh, I'm probably about four, might be in the fifth chapter by now, um, <laughs> and it is genuinely, uh, it's genuinely really good. What I said to you before, which is which was genuine, is that it's really well written from a point of view of you could be a call center practitioner and a senior business leader and take that information. You might have you know experience in call center authentication and security, but this book would help you kind of still implement it. At the same time, you could be a complete beginner, a novice like me who really doesn't have any experience in implementing security in in the enterprise from a call center point of view and still be able to pick up basically a, a toolkit and everything you would need to be able to begin that journey which is which is really unique to strike the balance between content really, really for kind of experts <laughs> versus novices yeah and, and i think that, that that's really what i've tried to do i mean i think i've kind of reflecting on on almost a decade of doing this and and i'd like particularly for your audience as well this is like these concepts apply to all voice interactions they're not necessarily about just the call center it's not just about agent assisted interactions it's about automated interactions as well i think we we realize like it's amazing stuff that we've done in voice ai AI over the last couple of years particularly but but i've been in this industry for for more than a decade now and just the progress is just immense and the the realism and the human nature and the conversational nature of those interactions is just fantastic and they're really engaging and the breadth of things we can achieve is is unimaginable just three, four years ago. Um, but the thing that is almost as essential in every one of those interactions is knowing who the customer is and being confident enough that they are who they claim to be to do something for them. Other, otherwise, we're just creating glorified FAQ services and telling people what time the store opens and how they can send their stuff in for refunds. If we want to actually kind of deliver real results and meet kind of callers and users needs, then we need to get beyond that. And we need to get into stuff that involves, uh, likely involves handing out or disclosing some personal data, but also has risks to us as an organization and to them as individuals that we need to and are legally obliged to in many cases secure. So I think what I've tried to do in the concepts in the book in, and, and the book in general is kind of take people right back to the beginning and think about these things conceptually, because um, I, I know some of your audience will be be quite um, well up on these topics as they think about that conversational flow. But, it, but in many organizations, there's almost like a myopia in the kind of the, the way in which you think about it. It's the security process. It's the way it is. Um, and we'll just try and 
do everything to avoid touching it and breaking it and we'll just think about what happens after it um and i think we've for too long ignored it and um thinking back yeah it was it was almost a decade ago that we first deployed um some groundbreaking voice biometrics technology in a, in a uk bank and, and Honestly, I thought, oh, okay, well, that's that's that done. Um, we, yeah, it was a bit tough, but um, I'm sure everyone else is going to be up and running before the end of the year, and that'll, that'll <laughs> be it. And then, like a decade later, we're still in this position where people are being asked their mother's maiden names or their pet fishes inside leg measurement, um, and it's just it's just ridiculous. And I think in in the modern in modern society, with the availability of information uh, and data about individuals, it's even less defensible than it was maybe five six years ago, when not as quite as much personal information was out there. Mm, yeah, so that's yeah. what I'm trying to do with the book: is kind of lay that foundation, kind of pull back the curtain, get everyone to think about it in a way, um, and then understand the range of solutions that are available to them and sometimes it's just about common sense sometimes actually there isn't that much a risk and we can take a bit of a chance or we can mitigate those risks in other channels and other means elsewhere and we balance those probabilities um, sometimes it's really important and we need to get right down and the key i think in all voice interactions is like there's a really unique and inherent property uh, a part of all that in those interactions and that's the user's voice yeah those voices are like fingerprints they have so many features that are make them unique about individuals um that it, it's just amazing that we don't we don't make more use of that inherent property um in our interactions and so that mm. that's what i'm trying to lay out in the book that voice biometrics and the field i come from is definitely not the only way to do this but it's got to be better than trying to do um uh, speech to text on uh, some uh, street name in in Wales, where you've got to use one of your specialist uh, specialist ASR providers to with a specialist dictionary of every street name in the UK to figure out which one it is. It's just really hard to do some of that stuff. But the voice, the voice is inherent in all of those calls, and we could use that better. Mm, that's really interesting. There's two there's two ways of of maybe framing this conversation, which is that one is the security, the the general kind of like I don't know if it, I don't know if it's bad practice. You would probably say it's bad practice. The, the 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 status quo of current authentication and identification in call centers, aside from automated automated front ends. So the current kind of way of, of actual live callers making that uh, identification and verification process happen. There's, there's an opportunity there to streamline some of that with some of the, the voice AI technologies, as you mentioned, like voice biometrics. But then there's also the other part, which is the actual automated AI having the conversation, utilizing the same technology in order to be able to facilitate that kind of conversation. And it sounds as though the latter example, we're probably a bit further away from, given that you said that you would expect the former to have adopted it more widely by now, do you think? Well, my, my, my secret hope is really that because of the, the potential of the rest, I mean, if you think about where we were maybe five, six years ago, that the, the, um, the self-service features available to people in the voice channel was reasonably limited because we could do balances and we could do some simple transaction queries, but we couldn't do the range of complex queries and issue handling that we can do with the technology available today. So, so there wasn't a huge amount of incentive to improve the ID and auth processes um, to enable those voice uh, self-service interactions. But I think now the kind of the, the opportunity that's left on the table when organizations don't do something about automated identification and authentication um, is significantly greater than it was then. And um, we can't be 
too specific like we, we have some amazing case study examples where organizations that started doing this with their agents are now doing it with their automated services and they're they're um they're keeping a huge proportion they're authenticating a huge proportion of callers just from those kind of first few words natural language uh, intent utterance capture they're authenticating customers with sufficient security and confidence to be able to do material um market market transactions with them and and uh, it just seems to me mad that kind of the whole world doesn't know this and that we're not we're not pushing to do it more we just seem to have kind of accepted that i've got to try and do that mental gymnastics of the um i for my eight digit pin number which is different to my five digit pin number i need to remember character three and character eight okay oh no it's an alphanumeric but i can't have any special characters how do you type a special character into a phone keypad by the way um yeah exactly <laughs> that, that, even that kind of cognitive load just puts me off engaging with the rest of the self-service and charge so, um, right if that if the computer's going to make it that hard just to authenticate myself then i want to speak to an agent Forget, yeah. forget what you try to do with the rest of it. And so I think there's, there's so much potential there. Um, and I, I'm, and, and the technology is at the state where it can be used that we have clients out there today using it. Uh, it's just really surprising to me that more people aren't doing it. And that, that really is the purpose of the book is to kind of raise the profile that this is, this is no, and democratize, um, to some extent, the, the technology and the tools that are being used by the, the fortune 500 and the FTSE 100 and the big four banks. Like they, they've been using this stuff for ages. Um, mm. but it's now far, far more cheaper, far more accessible. And a lot of those kind of technology integration hurdles that we would have seen in the past have kind of been blown away by the, the kind of, um, platform that that you guys are using today uh so it, it that's that's the other purpose but really is to kind of say hey, this stuff's out there it's not that hard to use if you want to use it yes the technology stuff's over there go and find the api guide for the whatever vendor you're choosing for it but then you need to figure out how to put it in front of customers end users then here's some best practice as well that we've learned from i think you said it's, i think we're up to we're up to a quarter of a billion um calls so far and we're we're targeting uh, in the last five years and we we're trying to accelerate that up to a billion by the end of uh, but in the next five so that that's that's my objective is to make those quicker easier and more secure Mm, interesting you touched on something there i think which is quite interesting which is the the perception perhaps of the market in terms of what's involved in voice biometrics you've got you've got one kind of like i would say the sort of status quo cultural hangover of the past which happens and and you know if if it's not if it's not fi- if it's not broken don't fix it or if we can't identify that it's broken don't fix it and so many organizations that have these really clunky passwords and press this and second letter of your keypad and all this kind of stuff most of that is probably in place and the company may well be under the illusion that it's working fine because they've never actually gotten any feedback about how poor it is um but then at the same time it's like it seems as though, or at least sounds from, from I would imagine from the outside to be thinking about voice biometric technology. Like, you know, it's it's almost the same as like face ID on, on your phone. It's like for an average person running a call center or an average, you know, uh, head of CX or whatever that might want to enable some more fluid transactional self-service use cases sounds a little bit frightening. I'm wondering whether you can kind of shed a little bit of light into how accessible this stuff is. I mean, we saw five, nine with a pin drop partnership nuance, I think had a Luminvox partnership or something or other recently. So they're becoming, these providers are becoming closer to the, to the, the toolkit. I'm wondering whether you might be able to just share a little bit of an insight in terms of like what's actually involved in doing something like a, for example, voice biometric security. 
Yeah, I mean, this, this might be... I'll, I'll try and break it into chunks, yeah. And I think there have been... A, but stop me if you want to dig into any one of those. Mm-hmm. In particular. So so let, let, let's roll back, yeah. So 50, 60 years ago, scientists at IBM figured out that when you look... And this is where the first patents come from, that when you compare the frequencies and the rate of change of frequencies as people are speaking, that... Um, that they're, re- they're, they're reasonably unique. And when you've got enough data points across the way in which people normally speak or the way in which they say the same thing each time, then you can make a statistical comparison between those repeats and identify um, who is more likely to be the person they claim to be versus somebody else. And that, that's how voice biometrics works. Yeah, We're comparing the rate of change of frequencies as people speak and the absolute frequencies of the different words and the way in which the sounds they make when they speak. So that that's the comparison process. And in order to make that comparison, we need uh, an enrollment of voice print. And there are two real ways of doing that in the market today. There's what we call text-dependent, which is typically what you might see in a large automated system with a with a retail bank my voice is my password or some other fixed passphrase you ask repeat it a couple of times and then you repeat it every time you come back in and that's that works uh it's not the most customer centric uh user friendly way because like it's still what we call active i still have to do something in order to both enroll and to authenticate something different than i would otherwise have done in the process of that call and the second set of technologies we call text independent, uh, which I kind of characterize as passive. And these are where we're just having a normal conversation. Now, clearly, um, you can't predict the, the words I'm going to say in a normal conversation. So I need more audio from a, a normal conversation generally in order to get that range of sounds that the average person makes in order to make a comparison with the range of sounds they normally make. So we call that technology passive. And it's really amazing from the perspective of customer experience, because I can do all of that in the background of the interaction that's taking place anyway. So you're stating your intent and I'm listening to the way in which you're stating your intent. So I can compare it to how you normally speak. You're talking to an agent about what you want to do. And I'm listening to that so I can compare it to how they normally speak. Now the the challenge with it, so the, so a couple of challenges over the over the last decades as we, we've looked at this technology. I think first off was really just like a computational power challenge. Yeah, like there's a lot of data to compare, and we couldn't really afford the technology to do it. This, and uh, at, at the pace that needs to do it, because it needs to be done almost real time. But that those those that was overcome kind of well into the 1990s. As we approach the kind of the, the turn of the, the millennium, we started running against a performance challenge. Yeah, we, we could do it, but the rate to which we were doing it, the success rates and the kind of the risk that somebody wasn't who they claimed to be was too high. Um, and it was too high to be acceptable, particularly to kind of risk stakeholders. And particularly before we'd seen the kind of fraud threat that we see on on the internet today, where kind of everything's a threat and it's all about probabilities because we've got a far better understanding of the the need to balance security and convenience back in the kind of turn of the turn of the millennium um security people were like no it's either true or false and there's no middle ground between that and and now we're a lot more open and realistic because that's the reality of of working on the internet and working in in modern commerce so that barrier has kind of been overcome as well because the algorithms have got to a sufficiently sufficiently performance state where that like it's it, it, like we we see in many customers, we see um, far more um, people. We of the people who are rejected by a system, the vast majority of those are because they are not who they claim to be, not because they are who they claim to be, and they're um, 
and they are unable to authenticate in that day, what we call a false reject. So the performance of these algorithms has reached an amazing potential. And then the, the, the third barrier, and I'm getting to the fourth in a minute, the third barrier was really about customer adoption. This is a bit weird, isn't it? Like we're comparing people's voices. Um, will people accept that? It's a bit spooky. It's a bit kind of James Bond. And um, there was a real fear about that. And particularly as we've seen kind of privacy legislation in um, the UK and Europe um, form around kind of the risks to people's um, personal data. And that's created some new regulations. And those regulations look really scary from the outside. But in practice, that's what we've always asked customers to do. Before these regulations ever came in, I was responsible for designing these systems. And it's just frankly weird not to ask someone if they're okay with it before you do it. One day you're remembering the seventh and eighth letter of your password. And the next day, the, the agent's like, well, yeah, I'll send that payment to Brazil for you. No problem. <laughs> and like, well, hang on. What, what was the difference there? So we've always asked people. And if we don't ask people, it's really weird. So the law says we now have to ask people, but we're going to do that anyway. So it's, the law doesn't really change any of those things. And customers are really accepting to this service. They're far more accepting of the passive type services than they are of the active ones because they don't, their, their effort is minimal when, they, when we're enrolling in those passive text independent services. But we, we have clients who are, who are seeing, when they remember to ask the customer, um, which is the other challenge, that we're, we're seeing customers who have kind of 90, 95% acceptance rates. Like customers saying, yeah, why not? Why would I not do that? Um, and particularly when you kind of promote the, the features around it, customers are more conscious about their own personal security. Like we don't like to point it out to people, but a PIN number's really insecure. Yeah. Like it's, mm. they're probably using it all over the place. Like the passwords used, the same passwords used everywhere. It's really inconvenient and really insecure. So even when we get kind of holdout customers who say, um, no, I'm quite happy with using my PIN. I mean, the moment you point out to them, was like, well, okay, but so so other people will be quite happy get using your PIN or your password mm. or guessing your password to get in. Um, they soon change their minds, and we've seen some amazing examples. I remember, I remember, a, I remember standing next to an agent in a contact center when a when a when somebody who was in their hundred and I think there were well over a hundred, and they were having difficulty, ironically, accessing the online service, and they were trying to get a password reset um, because they'd locked themselves out so many times, probably because they couldn't see the keyboard. Mm-hmm. Um, they 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 said, "Yeah, why would I not want to do that? I can't I can't remember my pins. I can't remember my passwords. I don't know where I wrote them down. Why not just use my voice?" It's it's the kind of the customer experience and the acceptance is well beyond people's expectations. I think so. That third problem was always about customer experience and then the fourth and final problem has been a kind of cost complexity integration challenge and like any anyone who's been in telecoms for more than a couple of years um will remember the days of kind of every single enterprise had a different way of doing it every single enterprise is different set of standards and those standards were highly linked to the vendor for the platform there was no such thing as standards based interoperability um and that that particularly with COVID is just kind of blown out of the water. Like the, the standards that the standards are really clear. Um, and uh, all of these new contact centers of service platforms, communications as a service platforms, they're standardized. Uh, and that makes the integration part uh, significantly easy. Remember, we, we have to listen to the call at the same time as it's being processed either by an automated system or by an agent. So that's really um 
that's really historically technically challenging. But with today's architectures, it's just another audio stream. We're just sending it to another black box, just like we'd send it to an ASR system or to an NLU um, support system or to a recording platform. It's just another voice. It's just another audio stream. And that audio stream is going to send some responses back to whoever wants to process it and then the kind of the brain in the center can decide what it wants to do with it. So we're rapidly knocking down those challenges. And because the barriers being that complexity part, that is what's driven a lot of price. So every single one of those integrations was custom code. Like it needed to be custom designed for the enterprise that was using it and tested to death because um, of the complexity of those in- implementations. But now if you're on Twilio or Five9 or TalkDesk or um, Genesis, like it's the standard. Like the integrations for most vendors are already there. So it starts to become a far more competitive, easy to get started um, arena. And, that, and that's really the other reason behind the book is like, there's going to be far, like, it's not going to be like two or three projects a year. It's going to be hundreds of organizations a year looking at this technology and deciding to implement it. And they need some best practice. They need some support to figure out how best to put it in front of those their customers. So that's a very long winded way mm. of saying that, yeah, kind of, I, I I think a lot of there's a lot of experience in the industry, but that that to some extent creates this kind of almost frozen in time memory. Yeah, we looked at that kind of five years ago and it was really hard. And that kind of blinds people to to considering it again now. And I, I can tell you, working with a range of different vendors and a range of different end users, the kind of the the ease of integration in these open platforms is just it's just mind boggling. Like you, you can spin up um, a, a Twilio um, IVR instance, for example, choosing no names or uh, mm. than that one um, with a, <laughs> with, 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 with a, with an off the shelf vendor, we just give them a credit cards details and you can be up and running in like a couple of hours. The sample codes there on GitHub ready to go. Like you could just get started. Um, and the sooner you get started, the sooner you can put it in front of real customers, figure out how they're going to respond to it and figure out the value you can get from it. And, and it really is like, if I even I think back to my kind of contact center time, like it, it can it changes the nature of those interactions. You get authentication out of the way, and the customer is getting on with getting their problem solved, and they're mm. grateful for it rather than resentful of the fact you made them do that really hard mental gymnastics. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So a very long winded explanation, but yeah, I hope that's um, answered. No, your- question yeah yeah absolutely yeah it was very it was very useful absolutely useful um to to hear the evolution of it as well um you know the technology customer adoption i'm assuming the technology has gotten a lot better as well potentially over the years as it has done with with many of the other kind of voice ai initiatives you know speech recognition is always increasing in accuracy new language support new accent support um all of the technology is improving over time and so i'm assuming that this technology itself has been improving as well yeah, absolutely. I think I was saying that with respect to the algorithms. I mean, the performance level is is, is unbelievable compared to like even where I started ten years ago. Mm. Um, we we used to think about having we need we we need two separate phone calls we need to to enroll customers so that we can do the comparison between them. We needed like maybe two minutes of customer conversation to do the to to set up the voice print, uh, and mm. now you can do it in seconds and you can authenticate people with kind of i'd like a balance please <laughs> and that's it yeah, yeah. uh so yeah. the, the both that the absolute performance like in ideal conditions is kind of at the point now where like the an improvement in performance is 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 reasonably immaterial to end users in terms of impact um right. we're now kind of chasing the last kind of um uh, edge cases of performance like how quickly can we authenticate a customer like can we get it like one and a half seconds is one second to one second of audio is that 
is that enough can we really be confident with one second of audio and then how much how much audio do we need to to set up that voice print originally do we need can we get over 10 seconds five seconds like is if we have five seconds to start with and one second to authenticate how how confident can we really be how can we mm-hmm. get more confident so we, we're really at those kind of edge cases now like the, the core technology the core algorithm self core technology is like that uh, there's very little value in my view um of 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 the of its performance increasing greater it's more about those those edge cases interesting so so what would, what would be involved in a typical enrollment then so i mean everyone's or most people or a lot of people have had had that process of being onboarded with maybe some of those um what was the word you not not the passive the more active kind of yeah. onboarding where you need to say a specific phrase a number of different times and it will kind of go through that process and to get you onboarded with that the technique was always kind of like put it on the back end of a call so the customer gets their stuff dealt with and then it's like oh by the way next time when you come do you want to be enrolled into this thing so and, and i imagine that the adoption of that wasn't maybe as great as it could have been because you've already got what you need sort of thing so i'm wondering whether the whether you can shed some light in what's involved in actually doing that onboarding from a customer perspective. Well, I, think, like- I, think, I think before we start with kind of digging into that, which is really some really valid points, it, it's worth pointing out. And and from my perspective, like, voice parametrics are not the only answer to this problem. Voice parametrics mm. works in some very specific situations. Um, and because of the need to have a voice print set up before a user uses it, it favors uh, interactions, organizations, processes, uh, transaction types where there is a rate of repeat whether that rate of repeat is because i'm handling a case uh like it's like a like i'm buying a house or i'm dealing with a, an insurance claim like i'm going to speak to this i'm going to use the service several times in short duration and then i may never use it again or where i have an enduring and long-term relationship where i maybe like only call once a year but I, i'll call once a year for the next 25 years because i've got a pension with you or because of of some other kind of frequently occurring thing or the kind of the the services that are kind of more embedded in our daily lives that are essential for kind of the way in which we operate so mobile operators when i uh and um to some extent utilities and things like that where it's kind of just part of the way in which i'm going to operate so when there is that frequency of call and that rate of repeat um it's worth the investment of creating that enrollment because i get the value from it later on and particularly where i'm dealing with things that are that are higher risk either to me as an organization um because there's a risk of financial loss or um, reputational damage by accidentally disclosing somebody's information. Like that's that's the perfect kind of uh, sweet spot for this kind of voice for voice biometric technologies because there's frequency of use, there's value at risk, and it's worth the effort. Where we have kind of lower frequency of use or the value at risk isn't as great, then there are other techniques we can use, some of which involve voice biometrics to identify kind of known fraudsters, and some of which use um, clever analysis of signaling technology, signaling signals that are used to connect the phone call or to connect the device to the voice service that are, that are similarly, though, passive to the end user. The end user isn't involved in authenticating themselves. They just are authenticated as part of that process. So voice metrics has a sweet spot uh, and it's not the answer to every problem. But when it is the answer to your problem, um, it works magically <laughs> in some cases with the exception of this kind of enrollment challenge or what i call what i like to call registration because enrollment um has all sorts of awkward connotations for for users like do i have to pay for it uh onboarding is also like it feels like a contract so i like to call the process registration and generally that consists of these um an offer and consent and an enrollment step you're right in the traditional text dependent active modes we would either 
authenticate a user in the IVR and then ask them in the IVR before they connect to an agent, or we'd ask them post-call. And both of those are kind of like, if I ask them before I speak to an agent, then you're getting in the way of me getting my problem solved. So I'm less mm. likely to get involved with it. And when you ask me after the call's finished, A, the agent has to remember to ask you, which happens um, surprisingly uh less than you would hope um and then you have to want to do it but actually i've had my problem solved i need to get on with whatever else i'm doing in my day so um again we see low levels we see lower levels of adoption we do still see adoption we still see high rates of adoption overall but lower than these kind of more passive technologies and you'll be familiar with some of these passive enrollment technologies already as you um use devices in your legs so have you noticed how when you um set up siri on your iphone for example you are not um just kind of showing a screen you're asked to try out a few phrases and that has the distinct advantage of both increased kind of training you to use the service but also gaining sufficient audio in order to train the model to understand that you are who you claim to be uh, and that subsequently you it can authenticate you sufficiently for siri's model so siri includes an element of voice biometrics technology it's run on the device inside your phone um, and not uh not processed remotely like it would be in our kind of call center technologies but that enrollment you, you are going through an enrollment flow you just don't know it um and and that's how we see the kind of the best practice um work in this in this field like we are going to enroll people um and because we're legally required to ask for consent and because we want to because it'll be weird if we change experience and without doing it um typically we just need to have that quick conversation so after you've been asked your your mother's your mother's pet's fish maiden name we'll go so we don't have to ask that stupid question next time can i set you up with a voice print or can i set you up with voice mm. id which has become the kind of accepted kind of trademark for it and 99 out of 100 customers go uh yeah why wouldn't i um, yeah. And that's it. We tick the button. It's done. Uh, and we'll use. And you're gonna you're gonna speak for the rest of that call anyway. So we're gonna get enough audio from that call to create the enrollment, and it's done. And we might do some other stuff to make sure it definitely is you. We might check that to make sure you're not the you're not you um you're not one of our known bad guys. And we might send a letter to your home address to make sure it really was you. But and things like that just to mitigate the risk around it. But it can be that simple. And when we think about um, automated services, those kind of training flows um, are also really useful to getting people to, to use the, to, to understand both how to use the functions and features of the service, but also to get enough audio to create those enrollments. Mm, that's really good. There's two really good nuggets there, which is one, put it kind of almost in the middle of the call, but at the right time, which is when you're in the middle of asking those stupid questions that everyone hates. <laughs> and the other one is not actually going through any kind of formal onboarding, actually just using the call itself as an opportunity to get the data that you need to use for the for the registration, which is a really good idea. Now, now you're gonna you're gonna need cons- you are gonna need the customer's consent because it would be weird not yeah. to and illegal. Uh, but yeah. um, <laughs> but but it but it can be done in such a way that 99% of customers say yes, and um and 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 the impact on handle time on the impact on customer effort is is close to zero. Yeah, that's wicked. You mentioned there some some other form of authentication using kind of network signals and stuff like that. I'm wondering whether you can shed a little bit of light on what that involves. Is this like 
customer phone numbers and where it's calling from or how does all of that yeah sound that's really good yeah so that, i think i think we're all familiar with kind of caller id yeah we're all familiar with that to start with and some somehow it's okay for your mates to answer your phone with your name but like if you phoned an organization and they answered with your name you think that's really weird um so there's <laughs> there's a step straight away about or well, identification as opposed to authentication so what what more organizations could be using the phone numbers that's presented to them in order to identify the caller in order to make in order to understand what the claim of identity is, if not assure it. Now, in practice, that phone number can be faked in all sorts of ways. And we're familiar, you're familiar with this already from the kind of SIM swap frauds that you hear about, the text messages you get from people who aren't who they claim to be. The presented number that's displayed to the end user for all sorts of reasons um, is open to abuse by bad actors, both individually and in the telecoms network, because it's basically trusted as it's passed off between telecoms providers. Now, obviously, telecoms companies like to get paid. So there's a whole host of other data associated with that call that you and I don't get access to, but our tel telecommunications providers do, which tells them exactly where the call came from, what the route it took, and where it's going to. And all of that data um, creates effectively another fingerprint that shows us like this is this is a type of this call is this is this is the general route that Matt's calls take when they call us, um, and we can use that data to create um, confidence and increase our confidence that the call is originating from where we thought it was and it hasn't been uh, faked or tampered with in any way, and and in many cases that's good enough for authenticating callers um, to do simple services to disclose the fact that they have an account or a relationship with your organisation. It's good enough, and it involved little little or no effort. It didn't involve their privacy, invade their privacy because you're just checking your phone number you already had that they gave you. Um, so that kind of network authentication technology um, is, is really exciting. And, and as the UK and other countries um, complete their conversion to IP-based telephony, it becomes easier and easier for those uh, technologies to be implemented uh, in call centers and in contact center platforms as a, contact centers as a service uh, platforms. And, and for me, that's really exciting because we're achieving the same thing as we do with voice metrics. It's passive. The customer doesn't have to do anything about it. It's probabilistic. So it's not true false. It's like, how likely is this not to be them? Or how likely is this to be some a pattern we know to be fraudulent? And again, it leverages that enormous kind of big data capability. If you're getting hundreds of thousands of calls, we can throw all of those into one big model. I mean, usually these models are well-trained to start with, and we can even further optimize it um, to get the right results for your organization and really understand the risk in it. And you, you generally see this come out almost as like a traffic light system, like 75% of calls might come out green. We're like, okay, absolutely no chance that these have been faked. They're coming from uh, a UK mobile network uh, that hasn't been interfered with. The SIM, the SIM has not been changed in the last 60 days. This is absolutely the number it claims to be versus, oh, this is a bit odd. Um, the SIM may have been changed or it's roaming on a foreign network and we can't quite be sure where it came from uh, or um, the it's it looks like it's been bounced through a, a voice over IP service. Um, be a bit more suspicious about this versus the, and that might be kind of another 15, 20, there might be another 20% or more of those calls. And then the final kind of one or 2%, yeah, this is absolutely, this is that same fraudster. This is that same guy who called you last month. <laughs> like it's him or it's the same guy who called. Uh, and, and we see this really uh, powerful uh, federation services where um, like this is the same guy who just called your competitor and tried to be someone else. <laughs> like, and right. they marked it as fraud. So you should market it as fraud as well. So um, 
yeah, it's it's amazingly powerful, particularly in these um, still risky but lower risk uh, scenarios than um, maybe you, you might want to deploy a, a biometric technology. You still you still have some risks in there, but you can mm-hmm. mitigate you can mitigate them to a large degree. But you've still got those magical properties like it's passive and it's probabilistic, which is kind of which is really what we're after here. The customers that need to get involved, it's a little or no effort for them, no effort for them. Sorry. And they can get on and have their their problem solved. And the, the same thing happens if you think about it when you're using uh, an Alexa device or similar. Yeah, that it's it's like it's the device. The device has a fingerprint. That fingerprint is coming from the same IP network it's always come from, the same IP address or the same range of IP addresses it's always come from. We can already use some of that security to increase our confidence that the user is who they claim to be. Um, and as a result, we can drop some of this pretense of. Um, what's your mother's maiden name or characters eight and nine from your password. We can, we can maybe not eliminate those in some cases, but we can at least reduce the kind of, we can at least reduce some of those. I don't think, I think you could eliminate them. Uh, many, uh, many security stakeholders are going to go, oh, I think we should just keep it just in case. Um, mm. But yeah, you, you can get yourself this. You just, it's about, it's about the numbers. It's about probabilities. Interesting. In that scenario there where you said that maybe you have 75% that you're confident about, 25% that that you're not confident about, I'm assuming that you would almost kind of like segment those so that the the 75% that you are confident about would bypass any kind of authentication, but the 25% would be put into a different state within a call center so that the agent would actually go through it and, and query it all and stuff, yeah? I mean, it, it it depends. It depends on the the nature of the organisation, and like what we also have to remember is that like ninety five percent of people who call aren't doing anything risky. Yeah, it's not like mm. they're it's not like they're setting up a new. It's not like they're cashing out their pension and sending it to the Cayman Islands. It, they're not <laughs> like that. Ninety five percent calls aren't doing that. They're doing really mundane stuff. Uh, so you don't necessarily so. You, and that's another thing we're trying to get through in the book is that kind of a more layered approach. Like as a call progresses, we understand more and more about the risk associated with it. So we can ensure that we have appropriate security measures in place, whether that be making sure that they aren't a bad actor and making sure that they are who they claim to be. Um, we've we've historically put far too much emphasis on what I call front door security. Like we'll we'll kind of try and bolt the front door of our organization so tightly that not a lot of people can get through it in the first place, but that almost once they're through it, we like, well, have anything you like. Uh, <laughs> so we've got all this emphasis on front door security and we haven't really kind of uh, maintained much continuous security as, as the interaction goes on. Nice. Taras says, thanks for the reminder about the camera. Alan. I, think he's, I think he's been supposed to be cashing out his pension. So that's a nice reminder. <laughs> um, yeah. Interesting. So, so, where does that data come from then? If someone was debating utilizing network-based kind of security, you said there that the, the telephony networks have this data, which is where did the call come from or what IP address does this originally come yeah. from, all that kind of stuff. Do they provide you with a flag that says, we think this is genuine, or do you need to kind of take that data, build a profile for yourself, and then compare it to your own data that you gather over time? Yeah, so, so there are a range of different ways of 
doing this and and how is very dependent on the country and the region the market you're in um because where where it's a pure ip telephony network then there is then then all of that data is is part of the nearly all that data is part of the packet that's delivered to your um to your to the edge of your enterprise and you can choose to do with it what you want at that point and and several vendors have uh models well trained against huge data sets already that can just take that feed and start working on it um so there are a range of vendors out there that can do that um, as you as you get deeper and further into it and in different countries you'll see different levels of support based on the the the, the network infrastructure at play. So the UK hasn't converted to a fully IP um, phone network yet, for example. So we still have a lot of um, traditional um, phone interconnects. And that means that that data doesn't arrive at the enterprise. The telcos know it, but there are some privacy legislations that means they're not allowed to give it to um, the end users because if you, if you withhold your number, then you've withheld your number and the telco has an obligation to withhold your number as you've required um mm. but what they can do is they can interpret that uh, and provide indicators back to the organization say yes the um whilst this uh whilst the number may well be withheld it is not one that we know to be associated with any bad actors yes whilst the number may well be withheld it is actually the same number that's called you eight times today claiming to be eight different customers um so there is a different level of integration uh, involved there and that that is more complex but again there are there are vendors that have um, solutions out there for that, and um, those privacy obligations go away when um, when the calls suspect of being involved in fraud. So, um, if the if it's believed to be related to criminal act, then there is a or potentially criminal act, then there is an opportunity to um, get access to that data uh, and use it as part of the investigation process. So, um, a number of vendors have uh, mechanisms to do that. Mm, interesting, and and on the net because the network verification side of things sounds like i mean as much of a huge fan as i am of uh of all things voice ai and, and voice biometrics i would be looking for an excuse to use it rather than anything else but this whole kind of network uh situation is it's it's a really interesting concept because if you can verify the phone number or verify the patterns that that phone number tends to make it skips a whole bunch of potentially unnecessary steps and unnecessary technologies perhaps um, I'm wondering whether you've seen this applied to an automated use case, like on the front end of a voice assistant or something like that. Yeah, we, I mean, I, I can't be specific because organizations don't like to be too clear about their security process because it's just another opportunity <laughs> yeah. for people to circumvent them. But yeah, it, it's definitely in use today in automated services. Maybe not the whole service, uh, but certainly... Uh, which was about the kind of level of privilege and level of confidence we have in the call, how far we allow it to get without doing some other other steps is, is definitely already in use today in a number of organizations, both uh, uh, globally, without being too specific. Um, mm. and, and I do think it is it has real, um, real potential because it is all of those things. It's just passive and probabilistic, which is really what we're we're seeking in this market. But that that's not to say it's not without its risks, yeah, because um or and challenges, because we need to know the phone number in the first place. Yeah. So we talked about the enrollment challenge, but like a lot of you like Maybe maybe some of the newer um, greenfield organisations who start with mobile apps they have good quality data because they set mm. out to do it from the start. Like if I went to most of my clients and looked at what's in the phone number field, uh, some of it would be alphanumeric. <laughs> Quite a lot of it would be poorly formatted. 
So be a strange number of customers who live at zero, zero who have their zero, 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 or the one, two, three, four, five, one, two, three, four, five as their number. Yeah. That we, we need to know the number first before we can authenticate it um, against that number because we're checking for possession. And then there's a possession risk. Yeah. So um, how do I like it? It's not, it's not as significant as a kind of the fraud and the, the universe as a whole, but like your, your wife can get a, easy access to your phone. Uh, my mm-hmm. partner can. Um, and therefore there's a kind of related party risk associated with that. So maybe I don't want to do my most risky things uh, with that, uh, or maybe I need some extra controls over it. But even if I can't use it for authentication, I can use it to um, increase, increase my confidence that you're not a bad actor because like it's, it's just, it's a standard UK landline. I've never seen it before. Um, and I, I if I, if I see it again, I'll be suspicious, but it's, it's not like though. It's not like that guy who's called me twenty five times today, pretending to be twenty people. Mm. Um, so it can increase confidence from a fraud protection side as well. It's kind of all of these technologies have um, both sides. They have an authentication component and a fraud protection component. So the same as we talked about voice biometrics, kind of positively confirming that somebody is who they claim to be. Um, if I don't want to go to all that effort of enrolling people, I can also use it to make to against the all my calls to make sure that they are not one of the 10 or 20 or 30 or hundred people who keep trying to defraud me or that they're not the same person who claimed to be on that call five minutes ago, who claimed to be a different customer. I can do that kind of comparison. Like how many of my customers today claiming to be different customers sound like each other. And I can do that kind of comparison to identify um, potential fraud as well. So, but all, all of these technologies have both of those, those sides to them. Mm. Do you need to get enrollment permission for that or not? If it's fraud uh, prevention, I I am not a lawyer, and um, <laughs> uh, every every organisation will have a different interpretation of the legislation and their region and the market they're operating in. And I'm gonna I'm gonna plead the fifth if that's a thing in the UK <laughs> uh, on 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 answering that specifically. But but generally, yeah, I mean, the the challenge. Some of this legislation was actually, I mean, it, it's it's mostly orientated around things like um, that that are truly privacy invading, like facial recognition in public spaces. Um, Most, uh, most customers uh, who, who we survey and talk to um, don't, don't put these things in the same bucket. Like your, like uh, my best quote I ever had to me was during a customer case study. It was like, and it was right at the earliest 10 years ago, more than 10 years ago. In fact, it was like, we were really worried about customer adoption. So we simulated this whole thing in a lab with customers. And one of the questions asked was like, uh, do you, do you trust us to look after your voice? They went, uh, I trust you to look after my money. Why would I trust you to look after my voice? Um, and they just don't have the same perceived level of risk with it. I know, I know understandings generally come on, but like many organizations that we're using this with, like they, they already hold pivotal part, pivotal roles in people's lives. So it's not, it, that that trust's already present. I think if you're slightly more on the periphery of that, it's more challenging to get that trust. But yeah, it, the, the legislation um, is is there to protect against bad act? Is there to protect against the kind of the worst excesses of what is possible, um, mm. like s- selling it and all the rest? Of it. And, and no, no one I talk to or work with that would even that cross their their minds. That's just not why not why we're doing this. We're not we're not attempting to be manipulative. We're not attempting to coerce or anything like that. Mm. So on the on the fraud prevention side of things, you mentioned that you can do things whereby, for example, it's listening to, you know, one caller voice that might have made five calls to the same company that morning or something like that from maybe it's different phone numbers or whatever. Um, and you also mentioned like a list of bad actors. 
where does that come from? Does that is that something that you need to build yourself through pattern recognition? Is that some data that you get from other call center or other telephony providers that are sharing? Hey, I mean, this and, again, again, we're in we're in we're in awkward kind of privacy situation. I think the easiest the easiest way to explain it is um, when you have a if if when a post identification of a fraud or risk or issue um, that likely that the record if the recordings still exist, um, then that that's a prime source for kind of like well let's not get caught by this person again or we found this fraud related to this individual who spoke to our call center let's figure out how many other calls they actually were involved on and we'll kind of do a, a search and look back over time to find those so the easiest way of explaining it is within the organization there are mechanisms by which certain industries uh, and it's generally by industry because there are there are different le- there's different legislation uh, and requirements and ways of operating but there are there are schemes both in the in the UK and the US and I'm sure further afield um, whereby organizations can exchange this information um, give exchange these prints given some privacy constraints and, and legal obligations it, it does create it does create challenges yet yeah, because um, the fraudster of one organization may well be a customer of another uh, so how do you handle that? Mm-hmm. Um, and they have a, they have an obligation as the customer, so it it, it can create some challenges. Um, but ge- generally, um, it will be orchestrated by um, a, a trade in just trade or industry association in conjunction with a vendor or or even with law enforcement. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Where does this technology? Do you think kind of where where are the are the limits of it? For example, obviously we've mentioned banking quite a lot. Banking as an industry is a prime uh, place where this kind of technology would be a perfect fit because customer experience matters because all banks are fundamentally pretty much the same. They all just look after your money. And so the experience that you have with it is a differentiator. So utilizing this to, one, provide a good customer experience and two, be sure that the bank are doing the kind of right thing seems perfectly logical. Um, I'm wondering whether you've noticed any other industries that are kind of like, you know, ripe for this that are maybe underutilizing it right now like what do you what industries do you think should be using this stuff more than they are well i I think i think there's there's two things that kind of prioritize retail financial services at the top of this list yeah the first is that they are um they they see the most fraud yeah they they are the most victims of this stuff and as a result they have built the most arcane complex expensive and hard to use security processes so like they had a big challenge uh, and they have enduring and enduring relationships with their customers so they have a big opportunity to solve it so that's why i think we kind of would call that kind of wave one adoption large retail financial services in the us and uk uh, are definitely at the front of that because they have the this problem like there's like they're spending two to three two to three minutes sometimes authenticating callers they're getting hundreds and thousands if not thousands of attempted frauds a day through their call centers and, and other channels so they have an incentive to do something about it and they'll go and search and they'll, they'll overcome those barriers that we talked about earlier in the in in the chat about um complexities of integration and cost and performance they'll find ways to overcome it because they've got a big incentive um and historically the solutions have been priced to kind of make that 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 point so they they didn't they weren't really necessarily affordable or practical for um other organizations and when i think about those other types of organizations i'm I'm coming back to those where you have enduring private um long-term relationships so healthcare i think is a prime example here where um particularly and i'm we 
obviously very different healthcare systems in the US and UK. Uh, but in the, in the UK, like we've had this kind of rush of digitization during COVID and it's all a bit of a mess. <laughs> like uh, it's really hard to um, to interact in some of these different for like is my GPs on Zoom, but my cert, my consultants using Microsoft Teams, I have to hold up my driving license to prove that I am who I claim <laughs> to be. And then it all comes back to my date of birth, which everyone knows anyway. Um, so like, and then, and then there's a need for mutual authentication. So I think healthcare is a big opportunity here. Um, I think telcos as well, because um, of the central role in which, like whether they like it or not, and I think that's some of the pushback we've seen so far, like the mobile phone is actually uh, a security token that's used by many other organizations. Like that SMS you receive is dependent on the telco and the security of that SMS you receive to pay for your credit card or to log into Amazon is dependent on the security of the telco. And, and to date, they've been somewhat resistant to kind of accept that. Um, but I think we've seen in different markets, Singapore being the latest one kind of mandated uh, requirements to improve the security around uh, interactions with the telco. And I think there's similar kind of chats happening in the, in the US at the moment as well. So I think telcos are probably the next wave of that. Um, and then I do think there's a whole bunch of uh, enduring relationship-based services that um, this makes a lot of sense for. Um, conveyancing is an interesting uh, one. Not, not everyone will on, on this uh, podcast will, will recognize that, but the process of buying a house in the UK involves you um, complaining about your solicitor a lot, but also <laughs> having to talk to them a lot. And um, there's all sorts of challenges with that. And you just have to phone a lot. <laughs> and mm. every time you phone, you have to do the whole dance because it's legal, legally privileged and all the rest of it. And um, there's just value in just saving that time uh, for those very valuable um legally trained professionals so there's there's values and things like that and then as we think about kind of financial planning and retirement planning and investments we see some great case studies um in uh in some markets where um advisors are using these kind of services as well so um i think any of those places where there's that kind of long-term enduring relationship um this, this definitely makes uh definitely makes sense for and it, we've got to remember there are hundreds of thousands of these types of types of organizations so the final one is then obviously payment servicing providers and credit cards. Um, and we're seeing that come out um, as, as the legislation matures as well. So yeah, there's, there's no shortage of opportunity. I think the key for me has been though, that um, the cost and complexity is now at a point where anyone can give this a go. Like this is not about like, I, I think it took me six months to spin up my first proof of concept in a bank. Um, and that's because we literally had to buy the boxes, install the software, get the engineer over from Israel, um, all of that kind of stuff to make this thing work. We had to build a separate contact center technology platform with custom boxes and all the rest of it. Like, but actually, you can you can download some code samples from GitHub and and give your credit card to a, an API provider today and be up and running before I wake up in the morning. Um, mm. So it's so much easier to get started and to try it. That I think there's probably a whole bunch of use cases out there that I can't even imagine right now. Mm. Interesting. It's exciting times. The uh, the solicitor example is a fantastic one. I've recently had to. Uh, I'm going through the process right now of of buying a house, and uh, the solicitor the, we had to fill in two forms. Well, more than two forms, but two forms that I remember was um, one of them asks you where you got the funds from that you're going to use as your deposit. And it asks for your name and your address and all that kind of stuff. 
the other form, which you have to fill in and supplies back to them at the same time, is asking for where the funds came from, your name, your address, and all of the exact same information. And it's like, so it's not even just authentication, it's like just onboarding in general and get gathering data from people is the whole, that whole industry is ripe for disruption. I'm absolutely confident of that. I mean, I think that there is a, there is a bigger set of kind of questions and opportunities around federated identity systems, federated authentication systems as a whole. I think we kind of, we've got used to signing in with Facebook or Google to different apps uh, in the digital world. Um, it's not clear in which markets will be ready to sign into more physical services um, with an identity provider like that. There's, there's nothing to stop uh, Google, Amazon, your bank, the government from uh, using, allowing themselves to assert their assert your identity to other organizations. Uh, and we've seen uh, not necessarily in, in voice metrics, but kind of one of the other fields I cover around identity proofing, um, a huge explosion over COVID or like exactly like that challenge you talk about, like use, using biometrics similarly, like how do I establish um, that this person is not who they claim to be, but this person is a real person, a unique individual um, of legal status as opposed to who they claim to be such that I can then continue to authenticate them against that identity in the future. How do I set up a new relationship? So I do see opportunities, not just biometrics, but kind of a the need for a better understanding of identification authentication as a whole, potentially as um, other people start to assert identity back to you. And you need to understand, well, how confident are you that they had did that in a secure way? What particular tokens and methods are they using to authenticate you, you to their service before you then use your service? So mm-hmm. I think security as a whole and some of the concepts we talk about in the book are worth understanding for, for everyone in this space, even if they're not um, going to get into the, into the weeds of implementing some of these technologies um, in, a, in a call center environment. So it's, uh, yeah, yeah ho- hopefully there's, there's something in there for everyone. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, uh, it's interesting the onboarding and verifying someone, verifying someone in real life. Like, did you come across, did you see the Gov Verify, gov.uk Verify yeah. service? That was just a car crash. It was an absolute nightmare to actually, one, onboard, took forever. And then two, every single time you wanted to generate a token that would authenticate you with another provider, you had to go through pretty much the exact same thing again because the, the where they were getting your ID from was the credit services, like Experian and stuff like that. And that changes every month. And so if you kind of like, pass over a month you have to go through the whole process again and i suppose the issue with like facebook and, and and google and stuff is that they don't actually verify someone is who they actually say they are so it's actually a that side of things is a a, a real big problem to to solve and then and, and it's it's a ripe field for 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 innovation as well i think if you think about how you might set yourself up one of those services to start with like may, maybe maybe we move away from having to enroll with every organization you enroll centrally with somebody you trust to look mm. after your voice print and then then they send then whenever you phone xyz organization they know that you're registered with trusted identity provider and they just send the voice over to trusted identity provider and they send back the results as yep we're sure that is mass yeah. um so yeah. i think that there's that there's more to come in this field and i think some of the some some organizations will always want to control that data themselves and be in charge of the keys. Others will be more trusting of other people to control the keys. And I think there's a big role for both government and financial services organizations, particularly credit cards who are already trusted with a lot of that um, to play in this space. Credit agencies you talked about, um, some do this well, some some less well. But yeah, there's 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 lots of opportunities here. Um, so I, th- I think voice management is going to be part, part of people's lives whether they like it or not. Um, and whether you're deploying technology yourself or being dependent on somebody else using it on your behalf is a it's interesting to see how that all 
pan out in the next few years. Mm, mm. Yeah, interesting. I can see Apple playing got, a role. Got you thinking now. Yeah, definitely. I'm just thinking about all those companies that have got data on us that might be able to spin off that service, like Apple and Google for Android phones and uh, all that kind of stuff. Is uh, Amazon have got credit card information? I suppose. Interesting addresses. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I think if you look, tr- trust is big. Trust is important in this. So if you look at the kind of the where, where does the trust lie? And I think in the UK, we've always had this challenge with like, we don't trust the government enough to, to let them give us an identity card because yeah. we think they'd lose it and mess, mess it up or yeah. sim- similar. But we, we can't even we pick trust... our bins up on a Monday morning. I'm not going to trust them with me. <laughs> we sometimes trust, we trust Tesco's more uh, <laughs> and we trust Apple more than that. So it's interesting. Yeah. And we trust our mobile phone providers with everything. Uh, so yeah, it, it is interesting to see how that, that will evolve. Mad. Well, Matt, this has been absolutely fantastic. Thank you so much. Um, Thanks for having me. No worries. For everyone tuning in, uh, the links are in the show notes. If you're listening on a podcast, they'll be in the show notes. If you're on YouTube and LinkedIn, etc., they are down there in the comments. Uh, Do check it out. Uh, As I said at the beginning, it's genuinely a, 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 an interesting read, regardless of your experience in contact center security, and especially for most of this audience that is that is concerned with creating those AI-mediated kind of automated services, voice assistants and stuff like that. If you look at Google Assistant, you can't buy anything on Google Assistant without being authenticated with Google's voice print. Same thing on Amazon Alexa uh, with, with voice profiles. Same thing, uh, you know, if you're creating a, a voice assistant for your application, your mobile app, Sometimes people are signed in, so you can authenticate that way. But but most of the time, for likes of Spotify or Pandora, you know, there's there's a whole range of opportunities here, especially also in vehicles, in cars, in call centers, any con- any conversation that you're creating that is transactional in nature or that's going to give people access to data that's personal to them, then you are absolutely going to fundamentally need this. And I honestly think that the timing, Matt, for this book is absolutely perfect because it's all now organizations and enterprises are only beginning to implement those conversational transactional AI experiences. You mentioned the banks being the early adopters, but everyone else will be coming on stream very, very soon, I think. And so I think time is perfect. Well, thank, thank, thanks very much, Harry. And as I said, um, Kane's giving you the links to the book. We've got a website, unlockyourcallcenter.com, both US and UK English spelling, just in case, um, where you can get a free chapter as well. So uh, I'd love you to uh, to have a read. Let us know your thoughts uh, and continue the conversation another day, perhaps. Nice. And also, it's got some good resources on there. Um, that kind of like calculator you showed us is absolutely phenomenal. I won't give too much away because I'd encourage oh, yeah. people to go. Coming, coming, coming later, yeah. <laughs> coming later. Yeah, well, okay. So, But it's definitely worth it. It's worth it. There's loads of resources on there. So definitely check it out. Unlockyourcallcenter.com. Um, yeah, it's been an absolute pleasure, Matt. Thank you so much. Cheers, Kane. Have a great evening. And yourself. And finally, I'll leave you all with this, which is a webinar that we are doing with Core AI coming up on April the 20th, which is all about, uh, is AI coming for your job? And you'll see, and you would have seen the headlines around how AI is kind of taking people's jobs or risking people's jobs and stuff like that. And we're going to be having a discussion in this kind of live seminar about the realities of that and what industries are being affected and how, crucially, you as an organization can not have AI take people's jobs, but actually use AI to empower the people that work with you. We're going to show you some examples of how to do that as well. So please do check that out. The link is in the show notes. And that about wraps it up for my vacation. I'm going on holiday now, so I'll see everybody in in a week's time. Enjoy. (laughs) Nice one. Cheers, Matt. Appreciate it.